today I'm going to talk about something that makes me feel really uncomfortable. When I was about 11 years old, that's when I first learned about mental illness. My mom, who was the rock of our family, she was the one who kind of pulled us all together. And when I was about 11, she got really sick. I didn't really understand at the time what was really going on, but I knew that it was throwing our whole family into utter chaos. And after a, a few years of so much turmoil in our family life, um, my mom ended up leaving my dad and my, me and my sister and her moved, moved out and she made a bunch of really uh, difficult, turbulent decisions during that time. Lots of self-destructive financial and relational decisions. And, um, and then several months later, she dove into this deep, dark, depression. She couldn't get out of bed. She ended up not being able to keep her job and lost her job. And she just was just not able to function. And I remember being in middle school and knowing that something was wrong with my mom. I didn't really know, like I knew she was kind of sick, but I didn't really know with what. Um, I just knew that she just couldn't face the day. She couldn't get out of bed. She couldn't take care of herself. She wasn't showering. She wasn't making meals for us or driving us places anymore. She just couldn't function. She couldn't face the day. She just couldn't be our mom anymore. And it was just all too much for her to bear. And so she just stayed in her room with the lights out, feeling utterly hopeless. And she didn't want to live. She would talk about that. And I remember her making threats to take her life. And I remember being absolutely terrified that one day I was going to walk into her room and that I was going to find her dead. And I remember being so afraid of that, so, so much that I would, I would count the pills left in the medicine cabinet that she had of anything that was like a sleeping pill or something that she could use to take her life because she was just in that dark kind of place. And um, eventually she got diagnosed with bipolar disorder or manic depression. Growing up with a mother who suffered with mental illness has radically changed my life. It was one of the most difficult things to deal with. And, and it, one of the reasons why it was, it felt like it was something that I couldn't really talk about or share about with anyone. There was, there was this stigma around mental illness that causes us to want to hide, to deny it, to pretend that it's not there. And I, I have often wondered if my mom had a different type of illness, if, if she perhaps had, had something else, maybe I would have been offered more support as a young teenager who was taking care of a sick parent. I wonder if there would have been more compassion shown by other Christians. I wonder if people would have, I wouldn't have had, felt like I had to hide as those, like there was something that I had that was wrong and, and, and afraid that people were going to judge her or that if people really knew what was going on, that, that they would think differently about us. And, Today we're going to continue in our conversation about mental, about the mind and about the power of our thoughts and about mental health and mental illness. And I want to turn our conversation specifically to look at how it relates to mental health relates to in the context of the church community. Because this is something that really I haven't heard a whole lot talked about in church. Um, especially growing up, my teen years, 20, early, early 20s, I, I got messages from both inside and outside of the, 
the church that mental mental illness was something that had some shame attached to it um, and unfortunately there's been some bad theology also running around that has made it even more difficult to talk about mental illness but let me make this really clear mental having mental illness is not a sin having a diagnosis is not a sin it's not it's not you're not more likely to be blamed with it's, mental illness is no more to be blamed on sin as having any other type of physical illness. But when someone gets cancer or has a has a autoimmune disease or gets other any kind of other physical illness, we don't assume that it has something to do with their lack of faith or their lack of trust in God or or anything to do with sin. No, we we don't assume anything like that. We we we. we but why, why do we then treat mental illness that way sometimes? I think, I think a lot of times it's because there's this error in our thinking when we think about mental illness because it affects our emotions and our, our behaviors and our thinking and the things we may say or do. Um, it, it can very much get attached to our identity and who we are. And it's really hard to separate those things. I know. I used to struggle with my mom when she would, when her behaviors would do things that were unkind or selfish. I had a hard time separating those behaviors from who she was and recognizing that it was something that she was doing because she was sick and that she couldn't help being sick. And while the root of this chemical imbalance is in the brain is, is that something's not right, it's sometimes we look at the symptoms and, and how it affects the personalities and it plays with our emotion and it feels deeply personal. It feels, it feels linked with our identity. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't just become something that we have. It can sometimes be seen as something that we are. Like we don't just have depression, we are depressed. Or we don't just experience anxiety, we say, I am anxious. It's something that we, we, we take that on as like an identity of this is what I am. And that when, we, when, when you deal with your identity, that can be a very difficult thing to struggle with. Ace Carroll, who's a friend of ours from Anthem, has been coming for several weeks now, he put a, a, a quote up from C.S. Lewis on his Instagram, and I just want to share this with you. This is what uh, C.S. Lewis said. He said, mental pain is less dramatic than physical pain, but it's more common and it's also more hard to bear. The frequent attempt to conceal mental pain increases the burden. It's easier to say my tooth is aching than to say my heart is broken. Isn't that true? And because of this, because of the stigma, because it's so hard to talk about, I think for many years I feared getting it, getting a mental illness. I, I saw how it reshaped my mom's life and I feared that I also would one day get it. And after all, like there's a strong genetic link to it. Many people in my, in fact, almost everyone in my mom's family has at some point been diagnosed with a mental illness. Um, anything from bipolar, schizophrenia, anorexia, manic depressive disorder, or major depressive disorder. And so I've lived in this with this fear that one day I was going to get it. And if I got it, it would just, it would ruin my life. That if I got it, it would, it would, it would end everything for me. My life would be ruined. In fact, one of my close family members when I was quite young would say to me, oh, you know, you might, the likelihood is that you might get what your mom has. And then if I got it, then my life would be ruined. And, and uh, th those words, you're, you're ruined 
or something that you're going to inherit is going to make you ruined. Those words stuck in my head. And those words, when I was in, when they would just, they would creep up when I was vulnerable. They would, I would hear those words, you are ruined, you are ruined. And those words would just pop back. And it's amazing how the power that thoughts have to impact the direction of our lives. Because it would, the more I thought those things, the more crippled I became and the more fearful I became. The more, anytime I had any feelings of anxiety or depression, I would want to squish those feelings away and push them down and hide them. I didn't want anyone to know because I didn't want to be ruined. Those words, would, the, that, the, the, almost like a word curse, had been placed in my mind. It had started to take root in my mind. And I, I, anytime that little nasty thought would pop into my mind, I didn't, I was afraid to admit it. I tried to, I, I, if I was starting to feel low, I would try to pray it away. I, I wanted to squish it away. I, I struggled with God about it. I, and I suffered for years with seasons of depression and total isolation for fear that anyone would find out this about me. And then as a result, think less of me. So we're in the third week of a talk about the mind and mental health. And the first week we talked about our thought process, about how our lives are moving in the direction of our most dominant thoughts. And last week we took a way deeper dive into the waters of mental health. And I'm so incredibly proud of Ashley and the courage that she showed and modeled to us as she shared so vulnerably about her own experience with mental health. This is something that is, is so important for us to step into. And today we are going to continue that conversation and looking at mental health in the context of the church community. Friends, We've got to stop pretending that we're okay when we're not. It's, it's exhausting. It's hard enough to deal with a mental illness without the struggle of having an extra stress of having to hide it. It's, that is overwhelming. And if you're watching this today and you've been struggling in isolation with a mental illness, I want to say to you that you are not alone. You are not the only one. You, I want to make this abundantly clear that you are not the only one. And in fact, according to the latest John Hopkins um, statistic about mental health disorders, it's estimated that 26% of Americans ages 18 and older, one in four adults suffers from a diagnosable mental disorder in a given year. This, like we were, <laughs> that's, that's one in four. Guys, we are not alone. There's a lot of us that struggle with mental illness. And yet we, we, we hide, we deal with this in isolation. So we were just studying this verse in our, um, in our groups when we were doing those study groups about uh, Galatians. And uh, let me share this with you. Galatians 6, verse 2, it says, Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. So we can't carry each other's burdens if we don't know that there's a burden. You have to let someone know. Otherwise, there's no way we can carry each other's burdens. And we can't carry each other's burdens if we avoid... The burdens. If we avoid people's burdens, I know I've said it in my mind. It's like I don't want people to know my struggle because I don't want to be a burden. I've said that in my mind. I've never said it out loud, but I know. But that is not how the body of Christ is intended to to function. In First Corinthians, 
Paul, who was a church planter, and he was teaching the, this, one of the churches that he had planted about trying to describe what is the church community, what, the, what followers of Jesus were supposed to look like. And he, he used the metaphor of a, of a physical body. He's like saying, you know, the church is like a physical body, and each of us, each of you are, are a part of the body. And he says, it's just like a physical body, how a physical body has different body parts. And he describes the church community, us, as being like different parts of the body. In 1 Corinthians 12, verse 26, he says, if one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. If you are suffering, if you are suffering, all of us are suffering. If, if any of us in the body of Christ is suffering in the church, then all of the parts suffer with it because we are fully able to function when every part is able to bring their gifts and be involved and, and function to the fullness. And so if one part is suffering, all the other parts suffer with it. And have to, we have to think of ourselves like that. We have to think of ourselves like a valuable part of the body that needs to bring our contribution. You need to think of yourself as someone who we need your contribution. So don't hold back. We need to look at each other like that. We need to, like, like, like every part of our physical body, we don't just ignore the pain and avoid the pain of others. We carry each other's burdens. When we do that, we live out our purpose. We live out and we fulfill the law of Christ. Love and love your neighbor as yourself. That is the law of Christ. Galatians 5.14 says, the whole law is summed up in one commandment, to love your neighbor as yourself. It's like, if it happens to you, it's happening to me. That's what love your neighbor as yourself looks like. We bear each other's burdens. We, 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 we become a place that holds each other up, that and sometimes we think our burdens are too heavy, but that is what the purpose of the church is there for. We are there to actually love our neighbor. God chose the way of suffering. He, he entered into our brokenness. He went all the way to the cross. He, he is in our suffering. He is, when you're suffering, he is close. He is near. He is God with us. And, and the church, we, sh in, we are a reflection of, of, of him and we share in the suffering of others. This is where we get to, this is where we're going to live this week. This is where we're going to, we're going to be, be living in that place of knowing that we are sharing in the burdens of others. John 13, 35, this is how to describe how people will know that we're followers of Jesus. It says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. People are going to know that you, they're going to know God because of the way we love each other, the way we bear each other's burdens. Isn't that beautiful? Does, don't you just want that? Isn't that the dream? Isn't that the vision of what we want the church to look like? That we love each other and then people are able to see who God is because of it. So I don't know about you, but even though I've had some experience with caring and for people, loved ones that are suffering with mental illness and also my own experience. If I'm honest, this whole issue makes me feel uncomfortable sometimes because I just don't know what to do. And so today we're going to hear again from Dr. Carter, who is a clinical psychologist, and, and she's going to share with us some valuable wisdom and insight into how we can come alongside and support others. So let's watch this.
Dr. Carter, thank you again for joining us today. I appreciate you being with us. I know over the last few weeks, we've been talking about our brain, our mind, mental health, and last week we really worked to remove some of the stigma uh, that's around this idea. Um, but today we want to talk a little bit about, like, personally, how do we navigate this with people that we love? So I know for me, like, when it comes to people that I love and people that I know that are in my life that might be struggling when it comes to mental health, I don't always know what to say, but I know that I want to say the right things, and I know that I want to be helpful. And so just to kick things off, what would you say to that, and, and how can we come alongside of our family and friends who are walking that journey? The first thing I would say is thank you. Um, as a mental health professional, um, I know that social support plays a huge role in the healing process for my clients. And so anytime they have good support, it just facilitates how well they do in therapy. Um, I'm only with these people an hour a week, right? So I only get to see my client for an hour and then the rest of the time they're off in the world. And so knowing that they have loved ones, they have a supportive community behind them, I think is really um, refreshing to know and, and encouraging to know. So thank you. Um, for that. And I would also say, make sure you're taking care of yourself. Um, caregiver burnout is real. Um, and it, it does no good to yourself or the person that you're trying to care for if you never take time to replenish yourself. Um, so get into a good self-care routine. Again, um, taking care of your mind, your body, your spirit. And if necessary, go to therapy yourself if you need some additional support. Um, there's also uh, support groups out there for family members, for people who have um, mental health problems. So you can get together and share ideas, share re resources. Uh, if you can't find one, maybe you can create one, you know, even in your own church. Realistically, what does it actually look like to provide support and care when oftentimes we may not understand the fullness of what somebody's working through? There's a lot of listening. I think listening and asking questions, trying not to make assumptions. Um, really, ultimately, you're building a relationship. You know, even though the person you're caring for may be your own child, maybe your spouse, um, it's a different type of relationship when you're talking about mental health, you know, because that's something so personal and, and so... Um, sensitive for some people. And so you're really trying to meet them where they are and move from there. So, um, for example, people who have depression, for some of them, it's really hard to leave the house. And so coming out to, you know, have coffee or go to the movies is not something that they're necessarily going to do. But if you offer to come over there, bring dinner, have a movie, you know, just relax with them, they may be more willing to do something like that. Um, teenagers. Teenagers spend a lot of time in their rooms, particularly if they're depressed or anxious. Parents have the tendency to want to, you know, hey, come on down, let's have dinner, or let's watch the show. Meeting very well, you know, good intentions. But um, for the teenager, that's just their room is their comfort place. And so maybe the the solution is for you to go to them, you know, hey, can I sit and watch, you know, Netflix with you in your room? Or can I listen to music? And you don't have to say much. You don't have to say anything, really. You know, again, just being present with them makes a big difference. Also, um, sometimes caring for people is doing the hard things. And so if you have a child, um, for example, who is having some suicidal thoughts, you have to get that child to the hospital. Um, a lot of parents sometimes will just 
say, well, I, I can watch them, you know, I'll put all the, the pills away and the knives away and it'll be sure. okay. Um, but if your child really wants to hurt themselves, they need to be in the care of mental health professionals who can who can tend to them and get them stable uh, emotionally. Same thing with addictions, you know, taking a person to the rehab facility is a difficult thing to do, but it's a necessary step for their healing. And so sometimes, you know, really being there for them and caring for them is doing things that are really challenging. When it comes to that, what are some other cautions that you would have in terms of approach when you're coming alongside of somebody? What are some other potentially harmful things that could be said or that could be done? I think difficult conversations need to take place in the context of a healthy relationship. So the first thing I would ask is, are you the right person to have that conversation? Um, if you're if you're typically someone who, you know, maybe you get into arguments a lot with this person or there's a power struggle or, um, you know, this person just typically doesn't take your advice anyway, you know, (laughs) you may not be the right person (laughs) to bring this up, you know. (laughs) Um, Maybe there's someone who has a more uh, intimate relationship with that individual who would be better suited to have that conversation Um, or the two of you together can meet with that person to have that conversation. Um, I also would avoid the uh, ambush approach. Um, (laughs) You know, we don't need to have interventions. I I think that can feel very alarming to an individual to walk into a room and there's like five or six people there to talk about their mental health. You know, that's that's stressful. Um, And so you want to make sure that you let the person know ahead of time, hey, I'd like to talk to you about a few things. You know, is there a time when we can sit down and meet? And you want to make sure there's no distractions. You can talk uninterrupted. Um, and really get across the points that you want to say. You don't want to assume that you know what's happening with the person. You want to ask them what's going on. You know, share your observations as well. For example, you might say, you know, I haven't noticed that you've been spending a lot of time with us. You're kind of withdrawn from us. And and I'm wondering if we could talk more about why that is, what's going on. Instead of saying, you haven't been spending time with us, I think you're depressed. Right? You're making an assumption about what's going on with that individual instead of opening up a conversation to discuss what is actually happening. That's great. Dr. Carter, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. Thank you so much. It can be really hard to support someone who's struggling with mental illness. It's hard to know what to say or how to respond when, you, when someone you love is talking about taking their life. And over the years in ministry, there have been times, there have been people in my life who have been struggling in that way. And it's, if I'm honest, it's really hard. It's really hard. I, I just want it to, sometimes I just want it to go away. I want to be able to just do something or say something that's just going to fix it, you know, like a magic word or something like that that's just going to make it go away because I if I'm honest like I feel like walking into someone's pain is really hard and in our culture we kind of shame pain we, if we, someone's experiencing pain we, we want to hide it if, you, if you're experiencing physical pain we're like you know go to the hospital and get go get go to, go to the doctor get fixed but if you're experiencing emotional pain it's kind of like you know suck it up buttercup like we we sort of don't have as much tolerance for people's emotional pain but i love this quote by richard Rohr. he's a theologian and he wrote if we don't transform our pain we will most assuredly transmit it usually to those close to us our family our neighbors our co-workers and invariably the most vulnerable our children isn't that true 
That if we, are, if we don't transform our pain, if we don't go into the process of working through the transformation of our pain, we're gonna be people who transmit our pain, who cause and inflict it on others. That saying that hurt people hurt people is so true. And often that is the experience that people have when they're, when they're experiencing pain, but they don't deal with it. They hold it inside, but they end up being people that are that cause harm and hurt to others and those around us. Because we so we, we want to avoid the pain. We, and it's hard to go into that process. We want to avoid the pain, so we're often looking for something to dull the pain, to, to medicate it. To, and there's lots of ways we do this. I mean, this past year, uh, 2020 especially, and even, even now, a lot of us have faced more stress, more pain, more anxiety. We, we, we went out of our way to just try to find an easy button that's just going to get us out of pain, to escape the reality of what we've been facing. And in, there's lots of different easy buttons for, for each of us. Like, you know, some of us, and I know this is probably one of the things that I probably did, is we went to Netflix and we, we binged on TV just to escape reality, just to, just to ease the pain of having to face the mundane of our lives and the depression and, and the isolators to numb us. Some of us went to social media. So a lot of us, the, the pain of loneliness, the pain of isolation, the feelings of depression, they turned us into, to, they turned us to things that try to give us some instant kind of pleasure, like maybe it was impulsive shopping or, or food or eating. That's been one of my, my easy buttons recently. And for, for some of us, it's alcohol or drugs or it's something that will numb us, something that'll, that'll, and sometimes these can lead to addiction and more difficult things. But when the pain comes up, it gets uncomfortable. And we can approach others that way too, can't we? I've had many people in my life who, when they share their pain, my first instinct is to try to solve the problem for them, but that's not necessarily what's needed. Because meeting someone in their pain, it, it's like entering into the intimacy, into the vulnerability. And sometimes, it, it, sometimes it's, not just, it's not just going to fix the problem, but it's about hearing their emotions in the problem and meeting them where they're at. God wants to, to sit there in the pain with us. He wants to bring us through it. He wants to meet you in your pain. And when, it, when, when someone's in the midst of pain, they don't just need to hear how God's going to use this pain for good, for purpose. I mean, even though that's true, it's, it's not always helpful to hear that because they sometimes just need someone to sit with them in it, to mourn with them. Jesus said, I come so that you can have life and life to the full. But sometimes I think we want all the high parts, but the fullness of life, there's, there's, there's highs and lows. There's, there's pain and joy. And, and I think sometimes we only want the, we only want the, the nice, but the good, but there is, there's, there's pain, but growth can come through the pain. And so church, I want to encourage us that when we, when we're experiencing pain to enter in, when we, when, and also to encourage us to enter in to the pain of others. So what can we do when we're struggling? So here's some things. I'm just going to leave you with a few things here. First of all, be vocal. Let someone know. Don't, don't try to hide this, live in suffer in silence. I think I've said this a lot already, but I, just a few years ago, a good friend of ours um, who was a part of our church, she was 
bright and successful, had a great career, she was beautiful. I mean, this person had absolutely everything going for her and she took her life by suicide. And I was shocked. I had no idea that she was struggling. I had no idea and so many of us didn't have any idea. And the tragedy is she just never let anyone know. She was she suffered in silence and she took her life. And I just want to encourage you, do not suffer alone. Let someone in. Be vocal. Speak up. Let other people into your pain. And secondly, be vulnerable. <laughs> Be willing to ask for help. And what, this one of the biggest obstacles for people when it comes to getting help is, is just even getting over the stigma of having a mental health problem. We can be resistant to seeking medical treatment or getting therapy because we just don't want to have that, like the label of like we have a diagnosis or that there's something because we, we, we should we feel some kind of shame about it. Or maybe we think that, you know, healing needs to come supernaturally that maybe you know i'm just waiting for god to heal me but i don't need to go get medicine or go see a doctor or go get therapy or any other treatment and that if god doesn't miraculously heal you that there, you have this sort of shame that you carry with you about it um and sometimes people can just be hesitant or resistant to seek help for a doc for a doctor or just even having to admit that i have a problem i know that was something i struggled with um Sometimes we can idolize instantaneous healings um, because sometimes like, in, it, like, sure, I'd love it if it just happened all at once, but sometimes the process is something that takes time and, and it may take more work and more time. Now, I, I do believe in the power of God to heal us, heal us physically, heal us emotionally, heal us spiritually. He has the power to, to heal us. He orchestrates all healing. And, but I believe that we could be a church that believes in the both and. That yes, I believe that God heals through miracles and, and I believe that God also heals through medicine he, and through science. And, and that if you have a chemical imbalance in your body, in your brain, that there's medicine that can heal you from that and that God orchestrates those healings. He is God, that is, who, that is because it's just who he is. He is God, our healer. He is Jehovah Rapha. It's, it's his nature to heal. I remember several years ago um, when I was struggling with depression, I couldn't bring myself to talk about it. I couldn't even, I couldn't talk to my doctor about it. I, I, the shame of admitting I had a problem felt like failure to me. And I was so grateful that in that situation, I had Colin walking me through the journey. Um, I, I, I couldn't even make the phone call to call my doctor to make the appointment. And he, he made that phone call for me and he helped me. I just, I just couldn't bring myself to do it. He came with me to the appointment and he helped me articulate what was going on and what I was experiencing because I just didn't at the time have the emotional strength to just face getting up and doing those things. And that, that's what it looks like. That's what it could look like to bear one another's burdens. And I, I know that some of you may not be married. You may not have a spouse that can help you in that way. But I want to encourage you, whoever you are, to find someone in your life that you can let into your world, that you can share about those things. Find your, your 2 a.m. friend, that person that you can call, that, that, that if you're in crisis, if you're struggling, that you can ask them to even do some of the very practical things like helping you to order food or helping you to make an appointment, that, that, that next step. People who love you will want to step into that with you. And even earlier this year, 
the, this, earlier this fall, there, I met a stranger who was a single and alone in life, and, and I was able to be a help to her in just some practical ways and helping her to take some next steps, went to some doctor's appointments with her. And church, that is part of what we as the body of Christ can do for each other. Um, and here at Anthem, we're, we're working actually to develop a care team that can can broaden out our ability to care for those in our community. And if that's something that you'd be interested in being a part of, please reach out to us. We would love to talk to you about that. It takes a step of faith to let others see our brokenness, but the truth will set us free. When, we, when we're able to take that step and, and speak out the truth of what's going on, it, it's like we're taking what's in the darkness and we're exposing it to the light. And when, when, the, when, when, we, when we bring something out of darkness and expose it to the life, the darkness is dispelled. The light takes away the darkness. It, it, the, you, people remember, church, there is an enemy for our souls. He is a liar. He is a deceiver. He takes the truth and he just twists it. And he'll, he'll feed us these messages, these untruths, these things like you are ruined to try to paralyze us, to try to isolate us, to try to keep us from healing, from transformation, from being whole, from living the life that God has for us. And church, we need to be able to recognize that when, that when we hear those voices, to be, dis, be able to dispel it with truth. And sometimes, friends, we need to come alongside each other and we need to encourage each other with truth. We need to encourage each other with the, the truth of the Word of God, about who He says that we are, and the truth about who He is, because greater is He that is in you than He that is in the world. God is greater and He is able to overcome any challenge, any mental illness, any physical illness. He can give you the power and the strength to, to sustain through the suffering that you're experiencing. Church, together we need to stop hiding and be honest about our pain. We need to sit with others in their, in their pain and encourage them and remind them of truth. Because I believe that God has the power to fully, to heal us fully and to give us mental health, but it, it may not come instantaneously. I don't know why my mom and so many others in my life have struggled, including myself, with mental illness, but I know that we aren't meant to suffer alone, that the, the church, the body of Christ, is meant to function with all of its parts, and when one part suffers, every part suffers with it, and that there is healing and hope possible. And lastly, I, I want to encourage you to be a receiver. It's, this is really hard. If you're struggling, to be a receiver, to make ourselves available to receive um, but, like to be able to receive, putting ourselves in a posture of receiving healing. And so, and then lastly, some things that we can do to support others. I want to encourage and challenge us as a church to lean in when it might be easier to pull away. Ask how you can help. And, when, and, and ask, not just try to like solve the problem, but ask and then listen for the response and then respond. When someone's struggling, Try not to freak out. Uh, this is something, some advice that a friend of mine uh, with mental illness has shared with me that she's like, man, it would be so great that when, when people share what they're struggling with this, that the person who's listening can, can, can listen without freaking out because it's hard enough to be vulnerable, to share like this, those deep, tender things that you're experiencing and you want to be able to know that it's a safe place. 
where you can share and not have a reaction, a really emotional reaction to it. And so sometimes I've had to ask God to help me to stay calm, to not react with fear, but this will help us to create an environment of safety. Be a listener. Don't try to be a fixer. <laughs> Don't try to fix it or control it. I know that we like we want to have a, the pat answers, the magic wand, but sometimes the best thing that we can do is simply to be present. And if a person is in danger of harming themselves or others, then seek professional help. Don't try to be the savior in the situation. I mean, get them the help that they need. And lastly, I want to encourage you to be available. To be available for God to work through you, to be a vessel to bring hope and healing to the hurting. We want to be a church where it's safe enough to say, I'm struggling. We want to be that kind of church. We want, to, we want to foster a culture that doesn't bring judgment and provides a place where we can be known in honest relationships. That's one of our, our core values here at Anthem is that we want to be a place where we can be known in honest relationships, not feeling like we have to put on a fake mask where like everything's together. But no, we are, like we've often said around here, no perfect people around. And there are no perfect people in this church. We are all broken. We are all in need of a savior. And so we want to create a, a place where we can put our trust in a God who offers us hope and offers us love.